Good morning again, and uh, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers that are out there this morning and online. And uh, it's great to see the younger generation uh, be baptized, isn't it? And um, if you don't recognize, Elliot is actually one of the drummers in the, in the band. Uh, celebrating this morning with Elliot is a, is a reminder for all of us that baptism is actually an outward expression of a life that has yielded itself to God the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. It's what we typically call the process of conversion. And whether you were raised attending church or somehow came to faith by some other means, there was a point in your life where you too made a conscious decision to turn from a former way of life and submit yourself to Christ as both Savior and Lord, and this decision involved both a surrendering and also a submitting. But this doesn't end here at the baptismal pool. This is a lifelong process of surrendering and yielding to Christ as our Lord, what's formally referred to as the process of sanctification, that lifelong practice of us putting off our sinful ways and becoming more like Christ. It would be so much easier if we stepped out of the baptismal pool and somehow a halo appeared over our heads. But uh, unfortunately, as we've all come to experience, this is not the case. And throughout the Bible, we find a steady stream of people who have struggled with the ups and the downs of surrendering and submitting to God. And one of those was the uh, grandson of the Old Testament patriarch, Abraham. If you're not familiar with the story of Jacob, you'll find it in chapters 24 uh, to 25 to 49 of the book of Genesis. In one of the classic Old Testament stories, Jacob with the help of his mother, deceived his blind and aging uh, father, Isaac, into giving him the family blessing that actually was reserved for Jacob's older brother, Esau. And when Esau found out about this, he vowed that he would kill Jacob. And so Jacob fled to the distant land of Padan Aram, to the, whole, to the homeland of his uncle Laban. But in the time that uh, Jacob was there, was mocked by lying, deception, and a lot of bitterness between the uncle Laban and Jacob. In fact, the, when Jacob left, their parting was so bitter that they made an oath that they would set, and they set a boundary marker on the, on the, on the, in, on the land that they would never cross that boundary marker in order to do harm to one another. So with this as the background, we pick up the story in Genesis 32 and we find Jacob heading back to the homeland to face a brother who has vowed to kill him. And behind him is a land of no return because of the bridges that he's burned with his uncle Laban. We begin in verse 22 of Genesis 32. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female, female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone 
and the man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And so, with troubles behind him, troubles ahead of him, the text tells us that Jacob sent his family, his servants, and all of his possessions across the Jabbok River. Verse 24 says that Jacob was all alone. It goes on to say a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when we look down just those few verses, we discover that the man that wrestled with him was God. This is what theologians would call a theophany, which would be a visible appearance of God in the Old Testament. And so they wrestled through the night, and in order to get Jacob to surrender, God simply touched his thigh, and it crippled him. You see, God had to break Jacob. He needed to cripple him in order to get him to surrender. And once God touched him this way, Jacob clutched onto God. Verse 26 says that Jacob would not let go until the man had blessed him. This was a transformational moment in the life of Jacob. In fact, verse 28 says that God changed his name that day from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means prevailed with God. But what's important for us to see in this passage is that Jacob's transformation did not take place while he was struggling with God. His transformation came only after God crippled him, and Jacob could do nothing more than to just cling on to him and plead for a blessing. It was only when Jacob was in this broken and helpless state that God blessed him. In the New Testament book of Romans, we find someone else who's wrestling. For seven chapters, <clears throat> Paul has been writing about God's righteousness, the glorious gospel that all men are sinners and deserving of eternal punishment. But in spite of all of our failures, we're justified by God when we put our trust in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for, to pay the penalty for our sins. So after seven profound chapters on God's plan of salvation, we find Paul wrestling with a very real inner struggle. He's been a follower of Christ for more than 20 years. He knows what the law of God demands, and as a faithful disciple of Christ, he wants to obey it. Yet he continually finds himself failing and struggling to live up to what God commands. Yes, the Apostle Paul failed, just like we do. 
So we'll see in the latter half of this chapter 7 of Romans, this inner struggle of Paul, wanting to obey God's law and yet always falling short. The text is a, a little bit wordy, but I want us to look carefully at these verses and pay attention to this wrestling match that's going on inside of Paul as he struggles with what he knows is expected of him and his inability to achieve it. Beginning at verse 14 of Romans. <clears throat> For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. <clears throat> but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. A little bit wordy, but do you see this wrestling match that's going on inside of Paul? We look back a couple of verses, he says, for, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. And then in verse 18, he says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. And just as we saw with Jacob, Paul's inner man is broken and crippled. He writes in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? But then, just like flipping a switch, Paul quits with the inner wrestling and he clings to God just like Jacob did. We see in the next verse, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so important for us to see the big picture here. Every one of us who is a follower of Christ struggles with these very same things. And what we need to do is to follow Paul's thought process become, because it becomes for us the model for how we too should live. 
He's been wrestling with his inability to keep God's commands. It's a very real battle that's going on inside of him. And even momentarily, he almost seems to be going into a tailspin where he finally gives in and cries out, wretched man that I am. And just as God had touched Jacob and crippled him, so here God opens Paul's eyes to see the weakness of his own humanity, and it breaks him. And it's only from this point of total helplessness that Paul reaches out and clings to the truths of the gospel of grace and says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Again, we find that the, 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 the blessing didn't come to Paul in the wrestling. The blessing came when he gave up the struggle and he clung to God. It was these great truths in Romans that opened up the eyes of Martin Luther and ignited the Protestant Reformation with the message that in our own strength, we're unable to satisfy the righteous demands of God. But when we stop wrestling and put our trust in him who died on a cross for our sake, only then are we justified by God and made a member of his family. We are not united to God in the wrestling of our own human efforts. We are united to him by clinging to him and the salvation he offers to us. If you're familiar with the old Christian hymn, Rock of Ages, one stanza says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. What we find here is a profound paradox Christian faith. The victorious Christian life does not come through struggles. It comes through surrender. The victorious Christian life does not come through struggle. It comes through surrender. There'll always be struggles. Even after God had blessed Jacob, he still had to go and to face his brother Esau. And in the next several chapters of Genesis, we find that Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, was raped. He lost his beloved wife, Rachel, during childbirth, and then had his son, Joseph, sold into slavery all the time, believing that he had been killed. And years after his letter to the Romans, Paul would still be writing to the Philippian church about his desire to attain moral excellence. Even though they had both submitted themselves to God, the struggles didn't end for either of them. And so, what do we learn from this? God breaks us in order to bring us to the place of seeing that the victory is not in our own strengths and efforts. God allows difficulties in our lives. He puts all that's precious to us on the other side of our Jabbok River, so that we're left all alone with him. And it's here that we wrestle with him and ultimately surrender to him and cling to him. It's here that we're blessed. If you've never made a decision to follow Christ as those that were baptized here with Elliot and in the first service, you're probably struggling yourself with the Christian message. You've heard it, makes sense to you, but there's something there about, that, that, that causes you to be reluctant 
to submit to it. I can tell you that <clears throat> you'll never find your answers in the wrestling. You'll only come to know him when you surrender to him. And for those of us who are believers, there'll always be struggles. Some will be physical, some emotional, some spiritual. But regardless of the circumstances, the answer is always the same. Cling to him. The external struggles exist, but inwardly, we're clinging to him. As we face life's challenges, we too will have to leave everything on the other side of our Jabbok River and find ourselves alone with God. We may wrestle with him for a while, but ultimately we need to submit and to cling to him. And it's there, at that place, that we'll find true peace and the fullness of life that he has prepared for each and every one of us. Let's bow our heads for a moment. But before we take a moment to pray, I would ask that if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to do so. The Bible says that God hath given us eternal life and that life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. He that hath not the Son of God has not life. The promise of eternal life is yours if you'll surrender yourself and cling to him. As the hymn said, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I encourage you that in the quietness of your heart and in your own words that you would ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Our Father, we, we, we give thanks for these that were baptized today. Elliot this morning uh, in this service, the East Steps in the previous service. Whether old or young in their walk, Lord, we ask that you would bless their lives and reveal yourself to them in new and fresh ways. Empower them through your Holy Spirit that lives within them, that they would glorify you with their lives. And for those of us who are on that lifelong road of sanctification, the struggles, the inward, outward, may we always hold on to you as our rock and our foundation. And if there are any, Lord, this morning that you may be speaking to, give them the sensitivity to hear your voice. Put an end to that inner wrestling they may be experiencing and touch them in a way that they will surrender themselves to you. We ask, Lord, that all of our lives would glorify you. And we ask this in the, through the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ.